You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 31, Woman in a Man's Field with Dr. Pamela Mehta. In this episode, I'm talking to one of my dear friends, Pam, about her journey to being a complete boss babe orthopedic surgeon. She left to practice, started her own. She struggled with infertility and is currently about to have an IVF baby. She knows what it's like to face discrimination, to make it doubt yourself, but to not be afraid to set out on your own path. Can't wait to share this episode with you. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey, friends, welcome to As a Woman. You are listening to episode 31 Woman in a Man's World. This episode is with Dr. Pamela Mehta, who is a great friend of mine. She is an orthopedic surgeon and she's simply amazing. She was a huge supporter of me. In my job change as she's gone through this before, and I can't wait for her to share all of her wisdom with you. She practices in Northern California. She went to USC where she majored in biology and religion, and then she went on to complete medical school there and a five-year orthopedic surgery residency at Columbia, New York Presby Hospital in NYC. She was in private practice in a group practice and then left to go start her own solo private practice called Resilience Orthopedics in 2016. She has a passion for surgery. She is also a mom. She's got two beautiful boys and is currently pregnant with baby girl. She suffered from infertility herself. She doubted herself along the way. And she is one of my lovely co-founders of the Pinnacle Conference. She and I share a lot of similarities. Being in a job that's not right for us and the self-doubt it caused upon ourselves. The fear and the questions. She really helped me when I was trying to evaluate what options I had, and she was a huge fan of just saying, leave. You just have to leave. You will figure it out. You have other good options. You don't even see them yet because you're so fearful, and that was really eye-opening. I've hung out with Pam in person many times. She and my husband have bonded over meat. She is not plant-based, but I still love her anyway, and I can't wait for you to hear this episode right here. If you want to meet Pam and I in person, we will be hosting Pinnacle Conference, so don't forget to sign up. Early bird registration ends on August 21st, so if you are listening to this in real time, that is coming up this week. All right, let's get to it. Hi, Pam. I am so excited to have you on the As A Woman podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm more than excited for this. Thank you so much. So I've already read your bio to everybody, but you're an orthopedic surgeon, and that is a male-dominated field. I'm dying to know, even though you're one of my closest friends who's a woman in medicine, I don't actually know your story. How did you choose ortho? Was that always what you went into medicine wanting to do? Tell us about that. No, I actually wanted to do OBGYN, just like you did. Ah, Um, amazing. Yeah, (laughs) I did. Um, and I thought, uh, when I was planning for my third year rotations, um, to put OB and a few of the other rotations like pediatrics and family medicine closer to the end thinking this is what I'm going to do. And I I need to be a rock star at this point. And so I put my surgical rotation first thinking, I just want to get it out of the way. There's no way I'm doing surgery. 
Um, and then I did it and I just absolutely fell in love with it because, um, I really liked the immediate gratification of fixing somebody. Um, it also helped that I was at a large county facility, um, USC in Los Angeles. And, um, as a medical student, you got to see a lot of things and do a lot of things. And so, um, immediately my first surgery, I remember it was an X lap to the belly. Someone had been shot and I just felt this rush of adrenaline. And I thought there's no way that I can't be a surgeon. So then I started exploring the other surgical subspecialties and orthopedics was one of them. And what I liked about it was that you could do big open surgeries and small arthroscopic surgeries. And there was a lot of variety. And for the most part, my patients were healthy people who wanted to get back to their active lifestyle. I think something I didn't think about was the fact that women only make up 6% of orthopedic surgeons and, and minority women only make up less than 4%. And um, I didn't think about that when I was going into the field. And I think it's probably something I should have taken a little bit more into consideration. Did you, I think that's crazy. I mean, you're in the 4% category here, uh, you know, probably even less than that overall. What about when you started telling people you were going to do ortho. Did you hear a lot from the peanut gallery about other people's thoughts about this choice for you? Oh, I heard everything from there's no way that you can have a family if you do orthopedic surgery or any kind of surgery, um, that it's, you know, it's a physical field and you're too small to be able to do that. I was told over and over again, I should do anesthesia or physical medicine and rehabilitation or radiology. And for me, none of that made sense. Not that there's anything at all wrong with those fields. They just didn't fit the criteria I was looking for and what made me excited to go to work every day. Um, there was almost nobody um, that actually encouraged me to go into the field of orthopedics. Um, and so it was, it was an uphill battle from when I was a medical student. I'm going to presume the answer is no here, but did you have any female mentors in the field? No, I've had no female mentors until I became an attending. So I went through all of my medical school rotations and residency with no female mentors. Isn't that crazy? Do you think now, I mean, do you, I'm sure you try to mentor younger women. What are things that you tell them if they're trying to choose a field that's male dominated when the external pressure is, that's not right for you because it's not, you're not fitting into my box. How do you tell women to step out of that if their passion is something that is maybe outside the gender norm for their field? Well, I think social media has been amazing for this because when I was a resident and I'm aging myself here. There was no Instagram. Um, and you know, people did Facebook, but it was mostly to be friends with people that you were friends with already in real life. So I didn't have any even online mentors. And the nice thing about Instagram and some of the other social media platforms is that we can reach out to people that are, you know, miles and miles away that may be uh, considering a field like orthopedic surgery or a field like yours where they're not really sure what their work-life balance is going to be. And we can speak to those people in that platform and kind of say, hey, yes, you can do it. You can build the life that you want. It just takes a little creativity and um, just designing it the way that makes sense for your life. So um, I think what I tell what I tell students now or residents now is that don't be fearful of what all these people are telling you. Um, you can really do anything you want. It just depends on what you're willing to sacrifice 
And for, for a lot of people that they work less and make less money or for other people, they work more and they decide they don't, you know, they, their, their career is more important. So it's just kind of what you prioritize in your life, but you absolutely can practice whatever field of medicine that you want to. I agree with you so much. I know you've heard me say it before, that especially being a physician mom, that you need to have a field, a job that you really love to make it worth leaving your kids at home. Otherwise, you will quit. You won't do it anymore. So you really need to be finding a way to pick your passion, even if it's going against what other people think that you should do because you really know yourself the best. Absolutely. When you were going through medical training, so med school residency, did you worry about when to have kids, your fertility? This was a topic that I remember sitting in the coffee shop with my girlfriends. We were trying to choose our field, being like, when will we have kids? Oh gosh, we're going to be so old. And we didn't have egg freezing. Obviously, you and I are of the same generation. But was this something of concern for you? And when did you have kids on your journey here? That's a great question, Natalie. I think I was more concerned with when am I going to find the right guy? <laughs> so <laughs> I <laughs> I spent a lot of my residency single and I would see my co-residents find their partner, you know, get pregnant, have families. And it all worried me. I thought, when is this going to happen for me? When am I going to meet the right guy? And if I don't meet the right guy, am I going to still choose to have kids on my own? Um, and, you know, the clock is ticking. You're getting older everyone's letting you know that you're getting older. Mm -hmm. Um, and so all of these things were of concern to me. Um, I ended up reconnecting with someone from my past. So we kind of, once we reconnected, we were able to get engaged and married pretty quickly. Um, and so I had my first child when I was a second year attending. Um, and that was tough because you're starting a brand new job. You're trying to impress people. You're trying to build up your surgical skills. Um, and having a child is kind of a big stressor at that time. But I, I tell people there's really no good time to do it because either you're in training and you're trying to learn in your training or you're an attending and you're trying to learn as an attending, which is sometimes almost harder. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just tell people you have to do it when it fits in your life and the rest will somehow work itself out. And if you have the drive and determination, you'll, you'll make that work. Now, I love that we're recording this podcast today because you're going to have a baby this week. So by the time it is released, you will have a little baby girl. And I love that. Your other two kids, were they both born while you were employed? Is this your first one while you're on your own? Yes, that's a great question. My first two boys, they're 15 months apart. Um, so I had them in my second and third year when I wasn't attending and I was employed. And this one I'm having this Friday. Um and I, Four more days. <laughs> yes, exactly. Can't, can't come fast enough. Um, I have my own practice now, so I've had different challenges because I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to uh, cover my patients and cover my overhead and keep my, you know, staff employed while I'm out because there's really no one else that can do these things for me. So it's, it's a different type of challenge, but I will say when I was employed, uh, that was challenging. Also, I worked with all men. There were 12 men in me and they just weren't that understanding about it. And um, I felt very much like I was being marginalized because I was having a child and they didn't really understand how that went because that's not what, you know, obviously men do. So 
I think in some ways this is more challenging, but at least I can do it on my own terms. And I feel comfortable enough um, in myself that I'm doing and working as hard as I can before before the baby comes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good point. I think all of them are. One is that there's there's no good time. You just have to make it work. And just because you're employed and you have more people sharing the load of when you're on maternity leave doesn't actually mean it's easier if they're not supportive and showing that a lot of us still have gender bias really, really prevalent, especially when it comes to maternal discrimination from things like not having maternity leave written into contracts, not having any clear expectations, people using terms like, oh, I hope you enjoy your vacation or your break. And you're like, have you had a newborn? It's the opposite of a break. And it just really makes you feel like they think you're slacking. And then there's this internal desire to come back and work harder and show that you're just as good when really you're not sleeping at night and trying to breastfeed and struggling with all these other things. It's crazy. I think we have a real problem in this country. Um, and I don't work in corporate America, so I don't know what it's like for them, but especially in medicine, um, we are, the way that we are trained is that we work when we're sick you know, when we're pregnant, um, you know, as mothers, new mothers with three months old at home, and we're expected to be just as productive and act like nothing else um, is phasing us when we've just gone through this huge life change. Um, When I, when I took my two maternity lives, they were in April and July consecutively. And I was told the same thing, oh, you get another summer vacation. And um, it made me feel inside like, let me work harder to show them that I'm a strong surgeon and strong physician. So I ended up coming back much earlier than I should have. I mean, I didn't even take my full three months. And I just, I felt like it wasn't really appreciated. And so something that I've learned is that, it, number one, you have to do it when it would make sense for you. You can't worry about anyone else. But number two, really take that time to enjoy your child. You just had a baby And you owe it to yourself and your baby to take that time for yourself. And you can't really worry about what other people think. I agree so much, at least from in medicine. I had both my kids in fellowship and... I took five weeks with one and six with the other. Oh, and that's my, because oh ABOG, I had C-sections with both because ABOG, the American Board of OBGYN, you can only take off so many weeks in your entire training without having to delay training or delay graduating, which w- would be fine. I would have been fine to delay graduating fellowship by a month or two, but they won't let you sit for your written boards, which is normally taking in your last month of training unless it's your last month of training. So you'd have to take your written boards an entire year later after you've been out in practice. And that that's the big kicker why a lot of us are rushing back because there's these corporate board-like organizations putting these restrictions on you. If you do have a child in training that you'd have to, and if that was residency, you have to sit for your writtens before you can go to residency and you can't go start fellowship late. So that was a huge stress for me that I started worrying about going back to work and did I pump enough milk and all these other factors. And I really felt like I had to prove myself when I was back there. It was insane to put that amount of pressure on a new mom. Yeah, it's so wrong. And if you talk to anyone from any other country, they don't even understand it. They just can't understand it. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a problem that we all have to work on. Um, I don't know how it's going to be worked on, but we really do, do need to respect um, young mothers and, and new mothers um, in the workforce. I think that we are a very valuable part of the workforce. 
and we have to make some accommodations for them. I agree so much. I think at a minimum, it takes those of us who've gone through it to be supportive of the younger generation and change the mentality. Well, I came back at five weeks, so you should too. Or I covered all this stuff while you were gone. I think it takes those of us who've been treated wrongly to sit here and say, you know what, you need 12 weeks. You go take it. I'll advocate for you. I'll cover this and at least start to make headway on an individual level. But certainly there's a huge systematic problem there. Absolutely. I want to know, I'm going to change it a little bit. We're still on pregnancy, but so you went through IVF and I don't know if all of my followers know that. So going through IVF as already a mom of two and a full-time business owner, surgeon, boss babe, what was it like going through infertility at this stage? Oh, it was really difficult. And, and Natalie, one thing I love about your, especially your posts on Instagram, where you really target like what you should not say to people that are going through IVF. Um, and I think it probably pertains a little bit more to people who go through it for the first time. But as someone who was going through it for their third child, I got a lot of, oh, you already have two healthy kids. You should just be happy with that. And, you know, maybe this wasn't meant to be and things that were still very hurtful because I had really difficult, um, work, uh, work environments when I had those first two children. And so I didn't get to enjoy a lot of the newborn phase for either of those kids. And so for me, I also wanted a third child because I wanted to do it on my own terms. I wanted to have a kid and feel like I enjoyed the pregnancy. I didn't have other people breathing down my back at work that I was going to enjoy my maternity leave and having a, having a baby and growing my family. And so when people said those things to me, it really kind of struck a nerve. And for me, IVF was really tough because I'm now, uh, I'll tell you my age, I'm 39. And so when (laughs) I started going this through this process, I was 38 and I had my first two at 34 and 35. And apparently a lot declines between those years. Yes. Yes. Listeners of the podcast know that that's true. (laughs) Yes. And so I was so confused when I went to go see my doctor and she's looking at all my you know, my labs and my numbers and and ultrasounding me. And she's looking at me and saying, this just may not happen for you. And for me, that was never even a thought that entered my mind because I had my first two so easily. And also I just felt, well, I've, I've been fertile. Why wouldn't this just continue to be? And so that was really tough. And then every time I went in for my ultrasounds, when I started the medications, my follicles just were not growing. And so I would leave very emotionally stressed. And I really had to come to terms with that this third kid may just not happen. So um, I found it to be very difficult. I found it to be very humbling. I have a whole new respect for people that go through IVF and physicians like yourself that have to deal with patients like, like myself that are an emotional mess during the process. And so um, it was, it was a very humbling experience. I think it is so hard, and you and I have talked about this when you went through it, is that secondary infertility, you're almost more isolated and more alone because you don't fit in to either category. You are either, you have a kid, so the infertile patients who have no kids think that you need to be grateful for what you have, you know, and then... It's not though but it's not that you're not grateful because you're totally grateful for your boys. It's that you don't feel like your family's complete. And anytime somebody feels that feeling, it's not 
there's no right or wrong here. This is your family, your journey. But I think it's hard when you can't even really get full support from the infertile community either. You have fertile people saying, why are you going to these extremes? Why don't you just be happy? And you have some of the infertile community sometimes saying, I'm like, they're so jealous of what you've already achieved. Why can't you be happy? And you have a lot of self guilt during the process. Absolutely. I felt very guilty complaining, quote unquote, or talking to anybody about it because I felt really selfish and bratty. Like, I have two kids, I have this wonderful job now. My family is great. Everyone's healthy and happy. I sh- should just be so grateful, which I, which I am. But exactly as you said, I just didn't feel like my family was done. And I felt very bitter that all the years it took me to train and then going through this employed job that wasn't a right fit for me kind of took my years of fertility away. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a challenging time. And I just, like I said, it's humbling because I have a whole new found respect for people who go through fertility issues. What about the act of everybody who's ever done IVF with me is terrified about the time suck, how hard it will be, the time it will take, the physical, emotional toll. What do you want to say to those women who are waiting in the wings? You're about to have your IVF baby and they're afraid to jump into that part of the process. Again, I would say that just like having a baby, um, you have to do it when it's right for you and your family and you can't worry about work and where you are in your training. I think the same exact thing for IVF, which is why I love what you've done with your podcast is that people need to be empowered and take charge of their fertility before it's too late because you cannot worry about things like the amount of appointments you've got to go to and you know, all the amount of injections you're taking and how hormonal you might be at work. You just have to focus and make it a priority if that's something that you want in your life. And it is very difficult. You, you have to make a lot of arrangements with work. I'm lucky enough that I have my own practice so I could schedule patients the way I needed to, to accommodate for those appointments, but not everyone has that, but you have to just be strong and take a stance with your employer or whoever it is you're working with and just make it happen for yourself because time is a real big issue. Tell me, I'm switching subjects. Tell me about leaving a practice because I've done it. It was extremely difficult to leave. It made me doubt myself that it wasn't the right fit for me. It made me just question if medicine was right for me at all. There was so much pressure to conform to an environment that was wrong for me, that it almost broke me. And I want to know about your experience being in a practice that wasn't right for you and kind of deciding to leave. Uh, It was a really hard decision. I had um, a three-month-old baby and an 18-month-old. And um, my husband did not want me to leave because he felt like at least the job is stable, which it was. Um, But for me, I felt that I really need colleagues that are supportive, especially as a surgeon, because you may have patients that come back with post-op complications or just need an extra handholding for something. And you've got to have your colleagues to depend on that they will, if not at least help you, they won't throw you under the bus. And so I was starting to feel a lot of negative energy and hostility in my workplace and felt that no matter how hard I work, you can't be on an island. You have to have people that support you in what you're doing. So for me, it was a difficult decision to leave. I felt the same way you did. I second guessed myself. I felt like, is medicine the right thing for me? I had, I think when we go through this much training, we don't quote unquote fail at anything. So it felt like a failure that I wasn't really sure 
how or why it happened. Um, and so it was, it was a devastating year because I didn't know what I was going to do and I didn't know how to start from scratch, but I did know that I wanted to ultimately work on my own, mostly because I said orthopedics is a field full of men. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I had complete autonomy over my schedule so that I could give as much as I needed to my family and to my patients. Um, so I just started from scratch, completely from scratch, and I had no idea what I was doing. I just rented a very small space in a chiropractor's office and you know, got a PO box to set up my Medicare number and hired someone offsite to schedule my patients. My husband, who's a spine surgeon, speaks Spanish fluently. So if I had a Spanish speaking patient, he would between cases interpret for me. I love um, it. <laughs> and that's how I got started. And slowly but surely, um, I have, you know, real office space now with real employees, but it took some time in trying to figure it out in medicine. I don't think we learn much about the business aspect of it, kind of just even, you know, ordering supplies, simple things like that. And I think, um, I just kind of had to self-teach myself that and kind of look online, but there was no handbook. And, um, it was, it was interesting, but it was also a passion project of mine. It was something I felt really strongly about. So I did put a lot of time and energy into it. And um, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at now. And I think it was a good move for me. And I think something me and you have talked about too is you don't always realize that a, a transition in your life or a place where you have a couple choices can actually be something much better than what you thought. And I remember thinking, when I left that employed position, I'm this, there's no way what the next choice I make is going to be better than this. Cause I had this stable job with a great salary, but then it turns out there are so many other ways to do things that I didn't even imagine before. I agree with that so much. When I went through my job transition, I remember my therapist being like, well, what are all the things you can do? You know, cause you're like, oh, I can't quit. I'm so afraid or this. And she's like, no, like you're so unhappy. You have no choice, but to quit. And all these other things ranging from being a mom to writing a book to being an REI at a different job are all really good things. So you just need to kind of dive and, and figure it out, figure out how to swim. Did, did you ever think when you first entered medicine, so medical school, Pam, were you going to be a businesswoman and own your own business? Was this ever something that sounded appealing to you at the younger stage of the journey? No, not at all. I actually am one of those people that I pride myself on being like a little worker bee. Like you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so I never thought that I would be the leader, the entrepreneur, the one running my own business. I, I absolutely love it. I just, I think when you're in medicine, every, the path is so straight for you during medical school and you're just told what to do, um, that I was just used to that. I also just I really just love taking care of patients. So I thought if I have a business, I'm taking away time from taking care of patients. But it's not true. You can do all of these things um, and they can just be parallel to each other and, and you can still put time into all of them. Have you had imposter syndrome along the way? Like when you first started your own practice where you're like, I'm not sure that I can do this. Am I really cut out for this? Did you struggle from any of those thoughts? I did a little bit, but I think because I had already practiced for several years before in my employed position that I um, felt comfortable with at least the patient care aspect, the, the treating patients in my office and in the operating room. I think probably with the business side of it and owning my own practice, 
I probably felt that way because it's just not something I've ever done before. And I went through a lot of that when I left my job also, because I felt, how come I couldn't fit in? What was, was there something wrong with me? Cause I'd never gone through that before. Mm-hmm. And so I kept thinking it must be me. And, and then I realized many years down the line that it wasn't me, that other people's biases, you know, whether that's gender bias, pregnancy bias, you know, any of that, it, that's, that's on them. It's so interesting how we just learn to do our one job or how we see ourselves sometimes in our, in our own box, even though we're more than that. I had somebody repost a story of mine on Instagram and they were like, oh, not nah, fertility doctor, entrepreneur. And I'm like, I'm not an entrepreneur, you know? And my sister's like, um, yeah, you actually are. Like you are forging the way in these different paths and own it. Like don't shy away from that title and just realizing that sometimes we don't see ourselves for our full potential. Like owning and running a business, that's not going to take away from being a mom or taking care of patients. It's actually going to amplify it all and make it better because you're doing it the way that suits you and you're able to have a bigger impact doing it that way. Yes. you. <laughs> that's so funny that you didn't think you were an entrepreneur because <laughs> I, I so look up to you when it comes to that sort of thing. And I've just been so blessed and grateful that I've met people like you on this platform because it's, it's kind of strengthened my will also um, just to see other women that are able to do it um, and do it so gracefully and be able to have a family as well. So let's wrap up here and talk about Pinnacle because I'm so excited for Pinnacle Conference. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about what are the things you're most looking forward to about the weekend? Oh, I am so excited and I'm so excited to do this with you and Rupa and Danielle um, because I feel like we all have stories that are similar but different and that we have all, all have something to add to this conference and what I'm looking forward to is women taking charge and taking control of their life in medicine and practicing in a way in which is fulfilling for them and being able to um, do other things as well, like be a, be a mother, be an entrepreneur, and just be able to fulfill all those aspects of their life. And I think what I think is going to be so critical in this is just having women see that you can practice in a way that makes sense for you. Um, and giving people those tools and then also just the networking aspect of it. Cause I think it is helpful when you can meet other people that are doing what you're, what you're doing or trying to do what you're doing and brainstorming and figuring out how that's going to work for you. I totally agree. One for the networking, like I'm so excited for all these people who we're friends with on social media, or we followed their own journeys and they're all over the country to be coming together in the same place. I think there's so much inspiration that can come from other women. And I really think, and you and I probably feel very similarly here, that I am most excited to hopefully take fear out of other women and let them know that you have so much more power than you even realize. We undervalue ourselves. We don't understand our own worth. We don't know how to ask for what it is that we want or need. And there's no reason no reason, you know, like negotiate like a man, ask for things like a man would. They just say what they want. And there's something refreshing about that in business because I think as a woman, very often I know myself, I'm a pleaser. So I don't want to step on toes or, you know, seem like I'm being too greedy or selfish or this or that instead of just, hey, this is what I need. You know, I've got a family, I've got these other things. This is what I'm going to need to be a good 
employee, if it's, we're talking about an employed spot, or this is what I'm going to need to start my own practice and here's how I'm going to get it. I think just taking out the fear that so many of us have and don't even realize it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is not stuff we learn anywhere. We don't learn it in medical school. And like you said, as a woman, oftentimes we are the pleasers and we're used to taking care of other people's needs in front of our own. And what we all know is that if we're not happy ourselves, we can't be those caretakers to other people. So I just am really looking forward to an amazing weekend of meeting new people, networking, learning the things like you just said, how to negotiate properly, how to make the life that you want that's going to work for you. Which talk are you most excited to hear? Oh, that's such a good question. I think the negotiation talk, because I still to this day, oftentimes feel bad, or I want to say, I'm sorry, or kind of use passive tones when I ask for something. And so I think I have a lot of work to do myself on negotiating things um, properly, strongly with confidence. And so I think I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to see to hearing Bonnie Mason talk about, you know, leadership as a woman and just her story. So I think all the talks are going to be amazing. Really, I can't wait to just absorb yeah. some of it myself too. Pam, I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to say thank you so much for taking the time out of this last week without a newborn to sit here and record <laughs> the podcast. Will you tell everyone where they can find you on social media and how they can follow you if they don't? Absolutely. Natalie, thank you so much for having me on. And what you are doing is so important and amazing. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm just so blessed to know you. Um, And I really cannot wait to hear more of your episodes over the next year. And I remember when me and you met at the AHSM meetup, and you had told me that you were doing this, I just I could not have been happier for you. And I just tell, tell everyone about you and sing your praises. I just want you to know that. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, love. Um, that makes my and, heart melt. <laughs> absolutely. And um, you guys can find me on Instagram at dr.pamelameta um, for a little bit inspiration um, in women's empowerment and being the surgeon in a man's field. I love it. Thanks so much, Pam. Have a good absolutely. one. Absolutely. You too. All right, friends. Well, that is it for episode 31. I hope you enjoyed hearing Pam and I talk. Her story is so unique just because she's vocal about it. The discrimination women face in medicine when it comes to being a woman in a man's field, maternity leave, having a baby, pressure we put on ourselves, pressure society puts on us, none of it really is that unique. It's speaking up about it. It's helping to empower other women. And it's saying, hey, just because I was treated this way doesn't mean I have to treat other women this way. Pam is a constant inspiration to me. I adore her. I'm really honored to be her friend. And I can't wait to stand up next to her at Pinnacle Conference and help to empower all of you who are there. As always, thanks for your support of the As A Woman podcast. It means so much to me that you give your most valuable commodity, your time, to sit here and listen to what I have to say, to the things that I think are important because they're important to me. Every share, rate, review, DM, email, all of it, it really means the world. Can't thank you enough. Feel free to follow me along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Check out the blog at NatalieCrawfordMD.com. And until next time, thank you. <laughs>